The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thank you for those kind words, Todd. I, I usually say, if you'd meet my wife, uh, she could tell you the other side of the story, but you know my wife well. She could still tell the other side of the story. Um, hey, it's a privilege to be here. Don't you ever take this chapel for granted. I'm sitting there listening, hearing the prayer, singing. That you get to do this three times a week is a privilege and honor. So don't take it for granted. My hat's off to that you are studying here or teaching here and you've chose to walk a different path. What a difference that will make in your life and your service to God and hopefully to the people around you. My topic today is uh, failure, a stepping stone to success. I've been preparing because... The folks asked me uh, quite some time ago, we put the date on the calendar, I was going to talk about wisdom. And about Thursday night, um, God said, no, 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 no. Talk about the stuff of life. Not that wisdom isn't, it certainly is. So I have notes almost ready for another chapter. So I quickly put a new set of notes together. So what do you do with bad news? Especially when it's happened to you. Much of how we react in those circumstances defines who we are. Three quick examples. One of my good friends is Dan Wilgamuth. Dan is president of Youth for Christ, and his wife Mary experienced a life-threatening bicycle exercise a few years ago. How was Mary going to react? How was Dan going to react? Number two, yours truly. After 32 years of... uh, 24 7, 100 miles an hour in the investment management business. Six years ago, I lost my job. How was I going to react? You don't know me, you probably don't know Mary, but number three, Joseph of the Old Testament. Oh my goodness. Left for dead by his brothers, thrown in prison for something he didn't do, passed over more than once for an important promotion. Was Joseph a failure? These are three people who love God. And even more, three people who God loves. Can you imagine? God permitted those things to happen. Is he in control? Or just fall asleep for the day? We do not know what's around the next corner, do we? What's your story? What might your story be? Let me start with a poem entitled, And God Said If. If you never felt pain, then how would you know that I'm a healer? If you never went through difficulty, how would you know that I'm a deliverer? If you never had a trial, how would you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I'm forgiving? If you were never in trouble, how would you know that I will come to your rescue? If you were never broken, how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve them? If you never had any suffering, how then would you know what I went through? If you never went through the fire, then how would you become pure? 
If I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? If I never corrected you, how would I know that I love you? If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? If your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? Penetrating questions. Probably nothing new in any of those. The question is, do we live those? I would argue that failure is an event, not a destiny. This is good news because we all fall in some way sooner or later. Yes, in a sin sense, but also just falling short in an academic sense, let's say. I mean, have you ever failed a course? Have you ever gotten a B when you really wanted to get an A? We just came through the Olympics. People top of their field in, in, in that particular sport. 90% of them did not get a medal. What must that have felt like? The mind of God. We don't understand his purposes, but we do trust his purposes in all circumstances. Options we have when bad news happens. One, we can ignore it. Two, we can become paralyzed. Three, we can wallow in it. Why did this happen to me? Oh, pity party. Four, we can use our experiences to move on, to learn, to grow, and yes, to mentor others. Could failure be a gift from God? What would happen if we viewed it that way? In Mary Wilgamus' words, my biking accident, quote, deepened the well of my soul. Might that be the prayer for each one of us? Each of us can relate to failure and disappointment. So failure, the stepping stone to success. We've all been there. My life verse is Romans 12, 2. And if you know anything about that verse, it's transforming your mind. Yes, with the aid of the Word of God, the Spirit of God. So that we're not conformed to the image of this world. I think if we really appropriate that truth, we'll know who God is, we'll tune our hearts to God's heart and our minds to God's mind, and we're able to get through these periods. In the business world in which I live, Jamie Dimon is a big name. Jamie Dimon, if you don't know who he is, is CEO of J.P. Morgan the big bank, and as often thought as the lead CEO, not only in the banking, but the whole financial services business. Do you know he lost his job at one point in his career? Jack Bogle created a little company called Vanguard, located not too far from here. He also lost his job somewhere along the line. Now, I could give you a list of other people who lost their jobs you, you would never heard of. How did they handle these things differently? The scripture plainly teaches that God wants to bless us. Jeremiah, I will never stop doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing them good. So our failure is not an obstacle to blessing. No more than our success is a condition for blessing. God blesses us just because he loves us. Because we're his beloved children, he wants to reveal himself through us. As I'm sure you will agree... Failure is not the opposite of success. It's part of success. A failure is not a loss. It's a gain. It's something we learn from. <clears throat> I went on the internet and Googled verses on failure. <laughs> it just kept coming. 
Hundreds and hundreds of verses. Let me read just a few of them. Jeremiah 8.4. Jeremiah, say to this people of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You know if a man falls down, he gets up. And if a man goes back the wrong way, he turns around and comes back. Proverbs 24.16. The righteous may fall seven times, but still get up. But the wicked will stumble into trouble. Proverbs 14.32, the wicked are crushed by disaster, but the godly have a refuge when they die. 2 Corinthians 4.9, we are persecuted, but God does not leave us. We are hurt sometimes, but we are not destroyed. Many of you will know Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Boy, does the psalmist move from failure and quicksand to success so quickly within the space of a verse. And on and on and on. So what's our problem? Among others... I think, I know I'm guilty of this, we dream lower dreams and think there are none higher. What might your dream look like? I want to graduate from this place with a certain GPA. I want to capture a certain number of courses. I want to get a certain kind of job. For some, especially in the world I traffic in, I want to make X amount of money. For some of you, it might be I want to write a book. I want to write a piece of music. They're all good things, don't get me wrong. Of course we want them. God wants us to want those things. But we often think they're the best things. If I could find the perfect spouse and have perfect kids, what the world would be just... Can you imagine how I'd be blessed? Yes, you'd be blessed. But that's not our highest calling. They are lower dreams. And God knows that. And so sometimes he allows our lower dreams to shatter, or to fail. He lets us hurt and doesn't make it better. And we suffer, and he stands by us and does nothing to help, at least nothing that we're aware of. In fact, what he's doing while we suffer is leading us into the depths of our being, into the center of our soul where we feel our strongest passions. And that's when he comes into play. Our failures are not random. They're a piece of a larger puzzle, a chapter in a larger story. <clears throat> in the midst of unexpected diversity, our character and our faith encounter profound testing. I would testify, I suspect many of you would as well. We grow closer to God, more so in the valleys than we do on the mountaintops. I, I know how I live life. When everything's going well, I wear a smile on my face, I move ahead at 100 miles an hour, every once in a while I turn around and say, hey God, are you still with me? But when I'm in a valley, I don't move so fast. And I don't turn around this way, I look this way. God, lead me. We're to live that way all the time and sometimes God has to put a bump in the road in order to get our attention. Job said, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Knowing the result doesn't make it easy, but we still must live through it both internally and externally. There's some very practical responses to bumps in the road and to, quote, failure. Jerry White, a good friend, who wrote the book called The Joseph Road, 
When people go through trials, I mail them a copy of this book. It's very practical. Four points he makes. One, we keep going, we don't quit, we draw deeply on our resources in God. Sounds like pretty good advice. Number two, we keep doing what we must do. We remain faithful, even when we find it hard to be motivated. We take one day at a time. Our daughter just lost her first boyfriend. He broke it up. She is in despair. I'll never find another guy like him. She needs to go through life making forward progress, recognizing where her source of strength comes from. Number three, we work and live to the best of our ability with the gifts and skills God has given us. We don't become angry and despondent, and we don't blame others. And maybe most important, number four, then we wait for God. God will act on his timing and in his way. Let me briefly highlight three areas of testing. There are dozens and dozens. I just want to focus on three. Identity, control, and idols in this issue of when the bottom seems to fall out. Tim Keller says, quote, our postmodern society is unique in that most folks define themselves today solely by their performance and their achievements, especially in the workplace, rather than in relationship. What a scary place to be, because that can fall apart too. <clears throat> identity. Where is your identity? Jumping ahead, I'm going to tell you about losing my job. I had transferred some of my identity to my job, to my career, to my workplace. And now I didn't have it anymore. Who am I? Make no mistake, irrespective of our station in life, it's a choice we have to make all the way along the way. What is our identity? Number two, control. Many of us fall into the danger of trying to do things that are predictable, things that are under our control. We pursue endeavors where we feel competent, where we can hide our inadequacies, avoiding what we might fear, thereby creating a feeling of safety. The real problem with this approach, of course, is that we will never likely reach God's full potential for us. Playing it safe, refusing to expose ourselves to potential failure, we find ourselves later in life asking the question, what if? In reality, think about it. How much control do you have? Did you have control over where you were born or who your parents are? The day you were born? The century in which you were born? Most of life is out of our control. And the search for to discover God requires that we abandon ourselves, that we give up control of what matters most, and that we place our confidence in someone we cannot manage or control. So that when in the middle of terrible pain, we do cry out to God. He rarely grants us an experience that with our five senses we can recognize what God's up to. The capital P, presence of God, is not naturally discerned. But when we abandon ourselves more to him, a confidence emerges and a sense of his presence. Let me try to say this another way. 
I would argue Satan's masterpiece is the self-sufficient person who has made life comfortable, who's adjusting well to the world, truly likes living here, a person who dreams of no better place to live, who longs only to be a little bit better and a little better off than he or she already is. That is American way of life so often. The spirit's masterpiece, on the other hand, is the man or woman who much prefers to live somewhere else, who finds no deep joy in the good things of life, as good as those things can be, who looks closely in the mirror and yearns to see something different, whose highest dream is to be in the presence of the grace-filled Father. It is the person whose life here is consumed with preparing to meet him there. Do you think about those things? I mean, you can look at me. He's an old guy. I'm not going to live all that much longer, so I better be thinking about what's next. I would urge you to think about what's next, too. You are on this planet about this long, and you'll be in eternity about this long. We need to grab that perspective in what we do and how we do it and what's important. Number three, idols. Tim Keller, quoting John Calvin, the human heart is an idol factory. Internal idol worship within the heart. Most people think of idols as bad things, but for most of us, idols are really good things. They're just part of the lower dream that I talked about before, and we miss the higher dream. The human heart takes, quoting Keller now, good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into the ultimate ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance, security, safety, fulfillment if we can only attain them in a perfect way. To repeat, good things. Counterfeit gods always disappoint, and sometimes destructively so. that's how God operates. He wants to get our attention. He wants us to have deep fellowship with him. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that if you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. My daughter and her boyfriend, I lost this guy. Life's not worth living anymore. An idol is whatever we look at and say in our hearts, if I had that, if I had this feeling, then I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. What do you worship? Everybody's worshiping something, hopefully someone. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what causes you to be excited, causes you to jump up and down, causes you to cry. The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is turn back to the true one. The more we do those things, perhaps the more likely is God's going to move on to somebody else and give them a problem. The idol of success. What does success look like to you? Have you made an idol out of success? I'd like to take the next five minutes and read to you something I wrote a year after I lost my job. I hope it's helpful to you. I am privileged to give testimony to God's faithfulness and direction in my work life. 
I've been blessed by a wonderful and challenging career in the investment management business for over 35 years with early opportunities to be a faithful but quiet witness, mostly by deed in the hallways and corridors of largely God in different firms, with mostly God in different employees. They didn't have chapel three days a week where I worked. God has been faithful to provide career advancement opportunities over many years with fame and fortune along the way. Through a variety of circumstances and conscious decisions in the last 20 years or so, I've become more visible and more vocal about my faith. With that came mainly abundant blessings and discovery, including the fact that there are believers all over the place in the secular world. You know, my early years, I was kind of quiet about my faith. I thought I was the only Christian on Wall Street. And then once I said, I'm a Christian, all of us said, oh, I am too. Keep that in mind wherever God places you. The testimony I want to share is a bump in the career road in 2012, a year that I'd preferred not to repeat, but nonetheless one that I would not trade for anything. In May of 2012, I lost my job ostensibly for sharing my faith. Now, I was not on the corporate cafeteria's table pounding my Bible. This was stuff I was, like this. If this were being videotaped, which I, maybe it is, they found four of them on the internet talking to my church groups, college commencement, a chapel like this. And they said, we don't do that here. You will resign. I'll leave the story for another day. <clears throat> this was indicative of a U.S. culture that is increasingly pagan and in general slowly denying by omission and even repudiating God at every turn. As I confessed earlier, the loss hit me hard as I had unknowingly transformed some of my very identity to my work, and so I felt lost without the job. I also, perhaps for the first time in my adult life, had to relinquish control, a great spiritual lesson for a type A. Verses that became extra important to me in these days, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know this verse, I hope. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. When I get up, when I go to sleep and everything in between. These truths were very clear in my head, but my heart wasn't so sure. It's often said the longest 12 inches in the world is the distance between the head and the heart. You see, work, career, and position had become an idol. I came to recognize that trusting anything to deliver the control, security, significance, satisfaction, and beauty that only the one true God, Jehovah, can give is a dead end alley. For many of us, being productive and doing becomes an attempt at self-redemption. That is, through our work, as worthwhile as our work is. In fact, God gave us work. Work is a holy, call, holy calling, is an act of worship. Despite that, we should not build our primary worth, security, and meaning around that. We all have treasures, the things we delight in, the things we cherish and adore above other things. Back to the idle conversation I had to you earlier. To quote Jesus himself, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because we set up idols in our hearts, we recognize that making an image of something is not necessarily a physical process, but it is certainly a spiritual and psychological one. It means turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. 
The time between jobs gave me a real but gut-wrenching opportunity to deal with the clarification of God's calling in my life. I remember moping around one Saturday morning a few weeks after I lost my job, wondering out loud, what has God done? I mean, many of you have lost already in life worse things than a job. It was just a job. But boy, I hope you understand why it hit me so hard. Why did God do this? My wife, Leslie, who is pretty good at calling me on the carpet from time to time, said, would you get out your Blackberry? Everybody remember what a Blackberry is? Okay. Had one in those days. She said, check out your emails. I, literally, I had hundreds and hundreds of emails from people all over the place, all over the world, literally. I'm praying for you. If you didn't have your job, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do this. I mean, words of affirmation. You know, one of the things I needed to learn was compassion. Prior to that, I would have said, you want to pray for me? I'm in pretty good shape. You don't need to pray for me. That's not true. God set up the body of Christ so that we can lean on each other in good times and not so good times. In fact, I got so desperate, I formed a personal board. Five friends. Todd Williams was one of them. I am grateful to him to this day for that. In order to pray for me, challenge me, hold me accountable, and help get me from where I was to where God's next station in life was going to be. I could go on and on and on. <clears throat> to repeat, 2012 was one of the harder years of my life. I wouldn't want to repeat it, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. In a couple of minutes, time permitting, I'll give you a list of 10 things. Now, people told me it may be years before you understand why that happened to you. I'd say the same thing for whatever you might go through. You may never understand this side of glory, but in a short amount of time, I was privileged to understand this is really good. <clears throat> five years to the day I lost my job, my very able assistant reminded me painfully it was five years. So I sent an email to my three kids, and I got responses back from all of them, all of them applauding, affirming. <clears throat> I'll never forget my sons. He said, Dad, you're a much better man today, more devoted to God, a better father, and a better friend. Isn't that worth it? Do you see? God puts us through these things because we usually come out in a better place. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord's Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. What does that look like for you? You may say at your age you haven't had many bumps along the way. Oh, you've had bumps along the way. Are you learning from those bumps? And part of what God wants us to do is not make the same mistake twice. I mean, I could be transferring my identity back to my employer again. And probably I am a type A, but I hope I have that in check. We may not know what God's up to, but we can certain there is purpose in our painful circumstances, whenever, however they occur, and we know and recognize that there is meaning behind what we are experiencing. It will transform our pain and will enable us to relinquish our fear. Might I say it this way? It can help us walk a different path. What's God trying to teach you? I believe he's trying to make a spiritual breakthrough in all of our lives, and sometimes we have to go low before we can go higher. 
The Bible speaks consistently of a thirst in our soul. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. We may recognize <clears throat> that is, it is a yearning for security and significance, but it is also a desire for purpose, meaning, and contentment. And we fail to recognize that that thirst can only be quenched by God. All these other things, I've said three or four times, I'll say it again. They're important, they're laudable, and they're worth pursuing, but underneath the greater purpose. I think when we go through these things, and I wish I had time to develop each of them, I don't. One, to be transformed in our character. Two, to grow in wisdom. Three, to love, to have compassion, and to have quality relationships. I would argue I've been, you probably would too. When you go through a bump, you have better ability to help through other people's bumps, right? Whether it's the same bump or not. These are important lessons that we ought to feel good when God teaches us those things. Because remember, failure is stepping stone to success. It's not the end. It's just a bump along the way. C.S. Lewis, if you've read him, you see lots of examples. He even argues about friendships and the importance of accountability, that we should live where our friends live, and if they move, we should consider moving too. Wow. C.S. Lewis, again, in the end, he concluded there are only really two kinds of people. There are those who surrender themselves to Christ and say, I want your will to be done in my life. Then there are those who choose to go their own way and say, I want my will to be done in this life. I want to live for me. God, are you with me? Outcomes that have been given to me by God as a result of that bump in the road. One, closer relationship with him and therefore a deeper faith than I had before. Two, the opportunity to read more books on character, calling, adversity, and other related subjects in that year of 2012, a six-month period than I had read in the entire prior 25 years. Three, the privilege of sharing at venues like this on many subjects. Four, a job. I got a new job. Yeah, a smaller one in the world sense, but I think I have a much bigger job now. And I'm grateful to God for that. Five, opportunity to update my life plan, my financial plan, my exercise plan, although you might not know it. Six, more and deeper friends, especially Christians. Seven, a little more empathy, a little more understanding. Eight, opportunity to join nearly a dozen boards of Christian organizations and try to help make a difference. Nine, better balance in life. Oh yeah, I still work far too much, but few hours than I did before, at least at the job. Number 10, a more understanding and compassionate heart. Do you make a list after you're through a bump what God has taught you and what's the other side look like? I encourage you to do that. Finally, I'm reminded of the Pulitzer Prize winner and Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I hope you know his story. Spent eight years of his life in prison for making a few disparaging marks about Joseph Stalin. That's why he was thrown in jail. Most people don't know that. He went into prison as an atheist and he came out a Christian. After he was re released, his first words, I bless you, prison. I bless you for being in my life. For there lying on rotting prison straw, I learned the object of life is not prosperity, as I had been grown up believing, but the matter and maturing of the soul.
If that doesn't convince you, pick up Paul. Read what he had to say while in prison. You all have been and or, no, not or, and will go through bumps along the way. Some big ones, some small ones. Some that will pass, some that may have an unbelievable impact on your life here. Question is, are you viewing those bumps, are you viewing failure as a stepping stone to success for his glory? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those gathered in front of me as we contemplate the stuff of life. Father, examine our hearts. How do we handle bumps and failures you put in our way? Do we view them as stepping stone to success or do we wallow in them? Help us all to make right choices so that you don't have to do this necessarily to get our attention. Help us decide between the good and the bad and even more so between the good and the best. And Father, as we uh, live life and learn in your classroom, help us to develop characteristics where we can minister to others when they go through their bumps. We give you great thanks, for you're the God of all. In Christ's name, amen.